Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 6. If you're visiting this morning, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here at the church, and we're glad you've joined us. Uh, we are in the uh, sixth week of this Roman series, so to be honest with you, uh, I really can't back up and give you every week kind of a summation, but I can tell you what, where we've been in the first five chapters. The first five chapters deal with this simple truth. How can a holy God honestly accept an unholy me? So how does a God who's perfect and cannot be in the presence of sin, how can he accept me who's been a sinner his entire life? From the time he's able to choose, he chose his own way. How can that happen without God like changing the rules or ignoring something important? And in the first five chapters, we've come up with a negative and a positive response to that question. The negative response is, it is impossible to be accepted by God if my acceptance is based on how well I've done. And I would apply the same to you all. That it is impossible for a holy God to accept an unholy us based on what we've done. And no matter what we do going forward, that's not going to make up for the fact that we have defied God and we deserve punishment. The positive response to that question, however, is that God accepts sinners. The holy God accepts the unholy me because of the holiness of Jesus. And this is what Michael led us to last week when he talked about justification in chapter 5. That the chapter on justification is, you have to ask yourself, what do you think justifies you with God? Justification meaning, or justified mean, that you and God are okay. That it's been made up, that we're all right. And we have to ask ourselves, what do we think justifies us? Our jobs, our, our careers, our reputations? What is it that makes us pleasing to God? So if the question of Romans is, How does the justification of God work for sinners like you and me? Chapters 1 through 5 create an answer. The answer is Jesus. And what Jesus did overcomes what we can't. And it also overcomes what we chose. Now the next three chapters that we're going to be covering here in the next three weeks, chapters 6, 7, and 8, those three chapters deal with how the grace of God gives us victory over sin that doesn't want to leave us. Because we're justified in the eyes of God, What do we do with this sin problem we continue to have? Our propensity to sin. Our appetite for sin. And when we get to Romans 6, Paul asks a question. The question is this, and I'm going to put it in our terms and then we'll ask and answer it. Here it is. Does grace make our sinful actions irrelevant? If, If, Mark, you're saying to me that Jesus, by his grace and his death on the cross, by the power of that sacrifice that all of my past sins are done away with, then what difference does it make how I live going forward? If he can forgive my past, then why can't he forgive the things I'm going to do in my future? And it's a fair question. But it's it's based on the wrong understanding of grace. Uh, Michael and I were just talking in the hallway between first and second hour, and one of the things uh, he mentioned is, he said, if if we present grace properly, this question is going to get asked. And that is, well, if, God's, if it doesn't matter then, my sin, then according to grace, why can't I just continue to live the way that I want to live? Paul's response to the question, well, it's asked in verse 1, Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? 
I mean, if we love God because he's gracious, then how about we sin more so he's more gracious? Paul's response in verse 2, by no means. It's very emphatic language. Some of your translations will say, God forbids it. In other words, that's ridiculous. We died to sin. Please remember that phrase. It's the theme of the morning. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We've been talking uh, for the last two weeks about this double cure. If you weren't here two weeks ago, let me give you just a thumbnail sketch of it. Double cure is saved from wrath, the sin problem, to make us pure, the sanctification problem, or how do we live going forward? We have two issues. We have to deal with our past sin, and we have to figure out how to live this life with God well. And we've called it the double cure. Michael rephrases it differently. He says, it's the penalty of sin and the power to overcome sin. So sin doesn't end the moment we're saved, and we all know that, right? That's the biggest duh I'll ever say in in church. You know, if there's one person going, no, the minute I became a believer, I never sinned again. Liar, you just did, and so you're back with the rest of us. We have a double problem. The penalty of sin, the power of sin, the double cure. Saved from wrath and make me pure. So Jude, verse 4, says these words, and I want you to notice the description. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. The author says that it is a godless person who will see Jesus die on the cross and look at that and say, excellent, now I'm covered back to the way I used to live. Rubel Shelley was a preacher in Nashville, Tennessee, and he was an author, a a Christian college president, a pretty amazing man. I heard him speak one time, and he gave an illustration that I've used because it paints a beautiful picture. Imagine each of you owns a restaurant, and your restaurant, because you're a God-fearing person and you want to do things right, you've made it a buffet. Because that's what the Lord would have. You got beef, chicken, fish. You got everything. You got occasional vegetables so it appears healthy. You got a lot of desserts. And you have pie. The way the Lord would have it. So you have this wonderful restaurant. People love your restaurant. You serve good food. And you're being blessed because people are eating at your restaurant. You make a a good living for your family. Well, one day you're tearing some trash out to the dumpster. And you open the door and you look into the dumpster. And there's a, a guy eating out of the trash bags, and your heart's broken, and you stop and you say, please, please don't do that. In fact, listen, morning, noon, or night, whenever you're hungry, please come into my restaurant. It won't cost you a dime. I'm going to let you eat anything you want. We have chicken and fish and steak, and we have all kinds of pie, and we have salads for you. We have everything you could need. Please don't. And the guy stops and goes, what? You say, no, listen, any noon or night, any time you want, come into my restaurant. I'll feed you. I have all of this food. I'd be happy to feed you. And the guy said, I can have anything I want. You're like, yeah, you can have anything you want. And he looks at you with the most sincere look. And he says, can I still eat out of your dumpster? And that's the point of Romans 6. It's the heart of the question. Are you really asking God if you can continue to eat out of the dumpster instead of eat at his table where everything is exactly the way it should be? You see, it's grace over garbage, not grace for more garbage. It's Romans 6 encapsulated. The question is not, how much can I get away with and still go to heaven? The question is really, how far can I get away from my sin because of heaven? And so Romans 6 paints a picture for us. Verse 3. 
Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If you have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. See, Paul gives us this image. He says, no, you have to understand. There's an assumption about this concept of baptism. That baptism is the uniting with Jesus. It's uniting with him into his death. And it's also uniting into the resurrection. It's a marriage ceremony, if you will where we profess our belief in what he did on the cross, not just that he did it and it's gonna apply to us anyway. No, no, we we own that dead to sin, dead to self. Notice these terms Paul's using, that we must choose to die, that he who tries to save his life is gonna lose it and those who lose their life will find it. This whole concept of death here, baptism symbolizes a believer's solidarity with Jesus Christ. Now, and I I know that for many of us, this word baptism has a lot of connotations based on our backgrounds, but I want to show you what Romans 6 says it is because the beauty of it's reinstated. It's not about church membership. It's about solidarity. In 1987, this really pretty girl came down the aisle and stood in front of God, a preacher friend of ours, and our parents, and she made a commitment to me as I made to her that we would be married and we became solidified together. It was no longer Mark and Heather, it was Mark and Heather marriage. It wasn't two individuals. It was a public ceremony that designated to the world the commitment we were making to one another. And Paul says baptism does that same thing. Don't you know that when you were baptized into his death, you were also baptized into his resurrection? You see, the reason we have a baptistry here in our church is not because that's how you become a part of Christ Church of Oronogo. That is a beautiful moment to enter into his kingdom and to vow before all of your friends and family that this is what I'm doing. I'm being buried into the waters to rise out of the waters cleansed and new. But let's be just frank with one another, can we? Well, I can. I have a microphone. So here we go. If God was truly just in baptism, we would be baptized into the water until there were no more bubbles. Can I have an amen? If it was simply going to be death, then it would be okay for God to say, because of what you've done, I'll forgive you after you're dead, but you're going to die, so I'm going to drown you. But that's what makes baptism beautiful. And please listen to this. It's not just being plunged beneath the water that's beautiful. It's his permission to come out of it. Like Jesus walked out of the tomb, we walk out of the baptistry. That's the beautiful part of baptism. It's my statement to walk out of the church holding Heather's hand. She's my wife, none of yours. She's mine. And I'm her husband. I know she lost in the deal, but I'm happy. (laughs) And we walk out of here, we have a covenant relationship. And baptism is a beautiful image, Paul says, of dying and and saying, I want to die to the sin in my life, and I want to be buried like Jesus was, and I want to walk out of the tomb like he did, and I'm being cleansed at the same time. It's a beautiful poetic picture. Let's not let it lose its beauty by arguing over its chronology. Romans 6, 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, 
we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Let me share with you what Paul just did for us. He said, death has no more mastery over Christ. He defeated death. And we will all physically die, but by the power of Jesus Christ, he will raise us. Amen? Well, let's do that again, church. This is a fundamental belief. It's like trying to play football with the soccer ball. It's not going to work if we don't do it right. When we come out of death, if we're made alive in Jesus Christ, we'll only die one time. And we will live forever because he showed us the way. And the life he now lives, he lives to God. So if we're going to be buried with Christ, we should arise to live with Christ. Remember, many of us get stuck. As long as we're not going to hell, we figure like we're saved. When God has so much more that he's saying, quit eating out of the dumpster. Come to my banquet table where everything you need is going to be given in lavish amounts. Live for something better. So the comparison is we've been cleansed from our sin the penalty, and we've been given the power to overcome the grip of sin, which is the power of Jesus. The penalty and the power, the double cure. So Paul then goes into two images that can be confusing, but when you understand what he's doing, there's freedom in it. Let's talk about the confusion of being dead and alive. It's an interesting comparison here. How can I be dead and alive? Romans 6.11. In the same way, Paul's alluding to the fact that Jesus died to break us free from sin's power. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourself. Look at the life you're choosing. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey all of its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace, death and life. Since we have been buried with Christ in baptism to arise to newness of life, we should live and count yourselves as alive, no longer dead. And we all know, deep down inside, we all know. And I want to say that for those of you that are contemplating becoming a disciple of Jesus, becoming a follower of his. I want you to understand that there is not a believer in this room, no matter how veteran they are in their faith, who does not struggle every day with every now and then wanting to look back in the dumpster to see if there's anything good in there. Church, are you with me? Some of you veterans, testify here. Am I lying? No. Every one of us has to struggle to stay away from the dumpster because there's an intoxicating, uh, there's something intoxicating about sin that gives us instant gratification and makes us feel in control. That if I just have this one thing, I'll feel exactly what I want to feel. And we need to break free from that. And there's part of God's promise is that the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives will allow us to overcome that intoxication. But it is going to take a long time. And part of God's maturation process for us is to give us the strength to say, no, you are no longer a slave to sin. You can sin if you want to, but why would you want to go back to the dumpster when God has all these better things available to you? Sin is seductive, and the Holy Spirit gives us the power to no longer be seduced. So I'll explain it a little bit differently. If your life was a story, there are certain moments in your life where a new chapter was written and changed everything. 
Think of an event in your life that changed the narrative of your journey. It could be discharged from military service. For four, six, eight, 20 years, you served in the military and you were told where to go, where to live, what to do and how to do it. And you got out of the military and you came back and all of a sudden you had freedoms that you'd not had for a good period of time. Learning how to live in those freedoms is unique. Maybe it's college graduation. Mom and dad aren't paying the bills anymore. You're on your own. You got to find your own place to live, someone to live with. You got to pay those bills. You got to go to work. No one's constructing the four-year cycle for you. And it's a new chapter. Marriage. If you can't think of your own, marriage is the one I'm talking about. Everything changed. The way you lived, what you lived with, where you lived, all of it changed. It's good, but it was a change. Maybe it was the birth of a child. I laugh when I hear young parents, we can't even remember what it's like not to have a child. I know. It's a great new chapter. And then there's some negative new chapters. Cancer cancer diagnosis. And you remember what it was like when you thought you were healthy and what the new reality looks like now that you're not. Or it could be the loss of a job. I could go on and on. Think of that moment in time when a new chapter began and what you realize with a new chapter is you're no longer living in the old chapter, are you? There is a pre-event reality and a post-event reality. And what Paul is saying is baptism is one of those new chapters in life where you think of the pre-Jesus reality and now the post-Jesus reality. And Paul is saying there's a beautiful part of entering into a new chapter with Jesus is that many of the decisions that were made in your past no longer are relevant, nor should they be enticing. The double cure, saved from sin to make me pure. You see, once we were seeking power and now we're seeking God. Once we were working to be good so God would bless us and now we're doing good things because we're already blessed. Once we were looking for ways to please ourselves and now we're looking for ways to please God. But Paul says, count yourselves dead to sin. And I know this is, may appear like psychobabble to some of you, but if you read your scriptures, you're going to understand your mind is massive in your faith. What you think about, think about what is good, pure, noble, right. What you focus your mind on. That's why the word of God and prayer is so important for us to remember why we hated the dumpster. To be reminded of all the good things God has in store for those who will walk by faith. So we have this confusion of being dead and alive. I'm dead because of my sins, but I'm alive in Jesus. And when this body walks through the portal of death, I will be made new in the presence of Jesus and to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. But there's also the confusion of finding freedom in slavery. How can you be free and a slave? That's oxymoronic. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Look at verse 15. Paul says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. The same emphatic statement found in verse 1, he uses again in 15. It's ridiculous. God forbids it. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul says there is going to be a slavery issue in your life, whether you like it or not. We autonomous Americans, we hate that concept. I'm a slave to nobody. I'm my own man. No. No, you can't be. You couldn't live an independent life. You always need others. So whether you're a slave to sin against your will or a slave to God in your will, it all comes down to what you choose. 
verse 17. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Please understand, when Paul was talking about slavery, not all slaves were involuntarily slaves. Many of them gave themselves to uh, landowners and those that owned herds, and they would give themselves to them in exchange for life, to be able to say, I want to take care of my family, and if I take care of your herds, will you provide for my family? And they would become slaves to this master for the benefit of it. But he says, when you're a slave to sin, you are a slave against your will. But when you're a slave to God in obedience, you're a slave of your will. You have chosen to submit and to choose. Verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. This is where our minds come into play. Paul says in verse 21, do you remember what it was like to eat out of the dumpster? Do you remember how humiliating it was to even your own self when you thought of all the things you've done that you hoped nobody would ever find out? Do you remember that you hid in the darkness for fear that the light would expose the choices you've made or I've made? We all know that feeling, don't we? And he said that slavery led to death. Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin, saved by Jesus, and have become slaves to God, living this new life, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23, the culmination of a powerful chapter, is one of the most favorite or famous verses in all of Romans. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice the term he uses. Death is the price you'll pay for your sin. Grace is the price Jesus paid to gift you. Which one do you want to trust to provide what you want? To provide what you need? Sin and death or life in Jesus? What a contrast. So Paul paints this beautiful picture to answer the question, If God is going to forgive me of my sins and I've done nothing to earn it, then isn't he going to cover everything and then it doesn't matter how I choose to live? And Paul says, you're asking the wrong set of questions. Yes, grace will forgive you of your sins because God is faithful. But would you not like more than just not to go to hell? Would you like the power to overcome sin now? Church, would you like to stop eating out of the trash? And how foul and shame-filled that is. I don't believe there's a person in the room today, whether you're a disciple of Jesus Christ or you're contemplating who he is so you know the decision you make. There's not one of us in this room, including your preacher and every elder in the room today. All of us say this one thing. We wish we had lived lives better. We wish we would have been honest with our own soul about the choices we were making. And yet, when I was a young man, my parents laid before me the gospel of grace My church supported that teaching. And my Sunday school teachers talked to me about it. And at a a young age, I wasn't too young, not at all. I knew exactly what I'd done. And I knew that I had a problem. My problem was I didn't want to go to hell. And my sin was going to punish me. And and it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accounting error. If, If God took away all the things that I didn't know that I was doing wrong, it would still have not accounted for all the times I defiantly said to God, leave me alone. 
I want to do what I want to do. And I was convicted of that. And I made a choice to tell my parents that I knew I needed to repent and I needed to confess Jesus as Lord and I needed to live for him and not for me. And I was baptized in my home church. And here at Christ Church, we're adamant about baptism. And I want to be really clear about what, what I'm talking about to you today. I'm asking each one of you, have you made a decision for yourself to make a solidifying moment in your life, a new chapter? Now, I'm not questioning whether you love Jesus. And I'm not questioning whether he loves you. None of that's relevant to me today. What's relevant is when I read the book of Acts and I read the New Testament, you won't find anybody who didn't make their own choice. Some of you were sprinkled as children, and that's beautiful. Your parents, your godparents, your grandparents, they sprinkled you as a child in the church to dedicate you for for Jesus, to say we're going to teach and raise them in the church to know Jesus. But there comes a point in all of our time where each one of us must stand up and say, I make this choice for myself. The reason we put you completely underwater here at our church is not because we want to be better than others. We believe that to be buried in the water, to walk out of the water cleansed, that when you find through your New Testament, immersion is the mode every time. And so we encourage every believer, whether you were sprinkled as a child, that began your faith journey, that we're not saying you're not legitimate. What we're simply saying is there's another beautiful act of obedience to Jesus Christ where you allow yourself to say publicly, I want to die to sin and live to Jesus. And as I'm, as I'm entered into his death, I come out of the water cleansed and new and exactly what he asked me to do. In Acts 2.38, Peter preached on the day the church began, Peter preached a message about who Jesus was. And he laid out the fact that the sin of mankind caused Jesus to be murdered. And somebody in the crowd called out. Maybe it was multiple people. But Luke says, somebody cried out and said, what must we do to be saved? And Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized, each one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice what took place there, the double cure. Remission of your sins, forgiveness. And the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power to overcome sin in your life and live for God. Next Sunday, February 14th, we've normally done this on a Sunday night, but we're going to choose to do it a little bit differently this year. In light of where we are in Romans and the conviction upon us as a leadership, we're going to hold a big splash. If you're new to Christ Church, let me explain what a big splash is. It's a baptismal day where we're giving opportunity for those who have been hesitant or been looking for an opportunity, and we're just simply saying, we are going to, during first, second, and third hour this next Sunday morning, we're going to have people ready to be baptized. We already have six who have said, I need to, and we're going to celebrate. You know, one of the things I love about this church, and it doesn't work everywhere, there's no decorum in this room when someone gets baptized. I dig that. I know some churches do the golf clap, and they're very uh, resolved to be cordial. We're not. We whistle, we yell, we high-five, we cry. You know, I've never seen anybody go into a, you know, a birthing unit in a hospital and go, oh, that's wonderful, you had a child. Very well done. Someone calls me and says, we have a baby. I'm like, sweet, bring it over here. I want to hold it. I want to celebrate because new life is the reason we exist. So next Sunday, we're giving any of you who have never made this choice for yourself the opportunity to come forward for a baptism. In fact, just a few moments, we're going to see someone give their life and experience that even today. Now, for those of you that have sprinkled, it's an opportunity. We say to do it for yourself. No judgment. An opportunity. 
And I even want to talk to those of you in the room today that have been immersed. Hey, it's time for us to get past the one part of the cure. It's time for us to move beyond just being forgiven and living out that forgiveness to the glory of Jesus. Amen? So at the end of this service, out in the foyer, in the prayer center, if you're interested next week in being a part of the big splash, and here's the good part. You may say today, I'm not doing that, and then God get a hold of you this week, and you don't have to wait till Sunday. This isn't about how many people we can get to be baptized. We feel like when you preach a passage like this, you ought to say, if you see the beauty of baptism and you want that as an act of obedience, why not now? So if you want to have a conversation with someone, you have some questions you need answered, come back to the prayer center at the end of the service. If you know that this is what you want to do, you can go on our website. You can take the app that's on your phone, the free app, and there's a, ba- there's a big splash button. Hit the big splash button, and you can tell us which service you'd like to be baptized and who you'd like to do that. And even on Wednesday night, if you have questions, myself and some of the elders are going to be out in the prayer center on Wednesday night. We're going to be there before the programming begins and during most of the programming hours. And if you just want to have a conversation to answer questions that are on your heart, please come do that. We expect God to move those who need to be moved. And we're excited about it. I'd ask you to join us in praying for that, that God would get what God wants because baptism is a solidifying moment, a marriage, a public proclamation of I'm dying to self and I want to live for Jesus because at the end of the day, we need him. And every one of us needs to know he brought the, the, the solution to the penalty of sin and he's brought the hope to overcome the power of sin. I need that. How about you? Let's stand together and sing. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.